growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve Podcast. Here's your host. Hey everyone, Dave here at the How We Solve Podcast. I am talking with Laura McGuire. Laura is a product marketer and creator of Hipstick, a patent-pending legwear design changing women's perceptions about comfort, size, and fit. How are you doing, Laura? I am doing great. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Dave. This is going to be fun. Thank you. Yes, uh, I'm really interested. You know, I, I, I very often talk about, oh, uh, a new guest comes on. Oh, what an interesting topic. I, I, I don't know that much about that. But I really don't know anything about women's legwear. I mean, I can honestly say this is totally brand new for me. So I'm excited to hear about your product and the story behind it. I understand that it started actually with a problem that you had. So tell us a little bit about back in the day before the hipstick existed, where you were, what you were doing, how you came up with the idea. Yeah. So like many successful products, hipstick legwear really was born out of a pain point. And you know, that's really the core of it. And unless you're born into a family run business, a lot of entrepreneurs, they want to scratch their own itch and they end up turning it into a business. And that's what happened with hipstick. I was myself personally fed up with uncomfortable experience of wearing tights. I could not find a product that satisfied the requirements for comfort. I tried many, many products. And after digging even further, I realized it was even deeper than just no products on the market. It, it's a category that had been stuck unchanged for so long. They've been making a product the same way on the same machines for decades, stuck outside of the circle of what customers really want. It's it's very interesting. So uh, you know, you, you see, you've got this problem here, and then you the first step. It, it sounds like you mentioned you start to do some cust- some research, not customer research, some product research, understand the market a little bit. Did you just go out and and, and buy a bunch of different brands to kind of ex- experiment with them? What was kind of the process behind actually understanding you know who was operating in this space? Yeah, that's a good question. Before I even thought of this as a business, I was a consumer buying product after product after product and feeling like I was wasting money. It took all those purchases to make me realize that I could be the one to change this category. I could be the one to bring about a design that actually works. And so after I came up, after I said, okay, this could be a business, I went to women who are also shopping the category. And I listened to what they were struggling with. And it started this laundry list of almost product attributes that needed to be part of this product design. And we looked at our total addressable market, like who is going to be our audience? Why would they wear this? Where are they wearing it? How often are they going to buy it? So we really put together a profile of what the customer would be before we even actually designed a product. Some people just jump right into designing, but that really helps inform, you know, customers is what is going to drive your business. So making sure that all of their pain points were included in the design of the product was really important as the first step, even before I got a manufacturer, because once I got to a manufacturer, I said, Here's my laundry list of everything this product needs to have. That's perfect. So, you know, competitor research obviously was was kind of the uh, the initial step, but then you didn't just immediately go into manufacturing just as you kind of established that there weren't any things there you like. You did the customer research next. 
you know, who were some of these women? Was it mostly friends and family or did you have to kind of go outside your network in order to get, you know, enough of a sample size? So I have a background in product development for other entrepreneurs. So I had a pretty good base of people in the in the brand and marketing space who would give me really good feedback. They would be honest with me. And so not only did I use family and I used a, a lot of my aunts and my cousins, um, but I did tap into this network of females in the marketing space and do not be afraid to get that real feedback. That is going to help bring about a product that that your customer actually wants. So in that initial round of getting women's feedback, we I pulled in as many people as I could. And then even after we launched the business and we were selling online, every single customer that ordered, I sent them an email as the founder. And I said, I just launched, I want your feedback and I want your real feedback because this is how we're going to actually have a company two, three, four years from now. It's a great approach with, you know, especially the early customers uh, to, to understand exactly what motivated them to buy, what they like about it, what they don't like about it. So with some of those early women that you kind of survey to understand more about what they were looking for in a product, was it a very clear and consistent message that everybody was kind of struggling on, you know, the, the, the deficiencies of the products that were currently on the market? Or did you run into a lot of women who were fine with kind of what was out there and said, no, I'm, I'm pretty much good? And did that ever kind of deter you or lead to any kind of doubts about whether or not you should take the next step? Yeah, that is an excellent question because what I found about this particular category is that many of the brands, the historic brands, they had been like zombies, just following the same process, making them the same way. And so it rang loud and clear that women were not okay with how they were being made in this tubular way not accounting for shape of women, women come in all shapes, all sizes. So the sizing methodology was completely flawed. And all of these brands were just just following that sizing chart. And that's the biggest aha. It's not even the visible design of our lace band and our silicone strip, but it's the concept that the sizing and fit wasn't working. It's kind of like Chris, the Untuck It founder. You know, he has some great patterns to his shirts. They're colorful. They attract you in. But what makes you want to continue to rebuy an Untuck It shirt is that it actually fits. The fit is what keeps coming back, that keeps customers coming back. So for us, at the beginning, it all came together for me that we had to create this product because women were saying, this category sucks. I hate buying. I mean, literally sucks. I hate buying uh, this product. So to answer your question, I think, you know, it's you're not going to always in the different categories you're in, you're not going to always experience this because, you know, someone along the way has has figured out how to build a better mousetrap. But in this particular case, the category needed change to match the desire that humans have for comfortable clothes. It's just, it is what we want. We want casual Fridays every day. Athleisure is a big deal now. So this desire for comfort really demanded that this product category make a change. Love it. So you take all that research, all the competitor research, the customer research, and eventually you have this list of needs that you say you go to a manufacturer with. What was that process like? Was it hard to find a manufacturer? 
or was it hard to find somebody who could kind of meet all the standards you were you were you had laid out? Did you need to shop around? How do you find someone? Yeah, so our manufacturer in, ended up being 90 minutes from where I sit, which is a beautiful thing because being so close to your product being made is so important to help control quality, to help understand their process, to be right there and the the patches, both of you passionate about making it. We did find out and, you know, back to some of the things we've been talking about, because the machines were the same and hosiery has been made the same way, there were only a couple of manufacturers who actually could do this design, who could make the legs and then attach our patent pending top to it. So we really narrowed it down very quickly. And I love, I will never forget when we're sitting in the meeting with the owners of the manufacturer, the owner said, there will be brands of the future and we want to be part of that. So that just struck me. Like there are people out there, vendors who can get passionate about what you're doing. And those are the people to hire versus worrying about whether or not they got the right equipment or they've got the right people. If they've got the passion, you will find a way. So yeah, our manufacturer, we wanted them to be in the United States and we're glad that we did it like that. Yeah, it's great to, you know, the passion really does trump everything. If somebody has the right attitude, they really believe in your product, then that's someone you kind of want to go into business with, right? That's someone you're willing to kind of go through some tough times with. Was it, you know, sort of your original intention to look for an American manufacturer? I don't know. That seems... I'm guessing somewhat atypical in the clothing industry. I'm definitely not an expert, but I just have this uh, perception that most of that stuff is is outsourced now. Yes, it. The statistics are that it's almost a hundred percent of apparel is not made in the United States, and that's that is so sad for us. But I do think you know, with 2020, things are changing. Things are going back to to the desire to have American made goods. I went into this saying. I want to be close to the product and it's going to be the United States. That's just where it's going to be. And so that was the criteria for finding a manufacturer. I have sourced um, several uh, manufacturers overseas. And yes, there is a cost savings. But when you start to do the math, is the cost savings, does it really add up to a value to you? Or are you giving something away? You have to work through that in some products do need to be, you know, made in different, different parts of the world. So every person's situation is, is unique and they have motivations behind why they choose what they choose. Cool. Yeah. And I'm obviously great to hear that you were able to find yeah, manu- an American manufacturing company that made sense economically and also so close to home. That seems ideal. Shifting gears for a second, I read uh, that you have a business partner, I believe is your husband, Jason. Uh, correct me if, I, if I'm wrong on that. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about, you know, the the working relationship with a spouse. Um, also, you know, the fact that he is a, a man and does that in any way make it more difficult for him to, I guess, work or run a business that where the target audience is so clearly women? Yeah, the way you started uh, this conversation and said that you, you know, have not experienced the category, same, you know, same went for my husband when I go up to him and I say, I want to launch this business. Oh, and by the way, it's going to be a hundred percent, you know, it's going to be a hundred percent female product. He is on the creative side. So he is the creative director behind our logo, our branding, our 
user experience on our e-commerce site. So he brings that experience to the table and he has worked uh, with so many different clients and loves that variety of client. He's a natural learner. So if you are a natural learner, it doesn't matter what the product is. He can dive right into it. Anything, you know, from nanotechnology to yard tools to now this very female-centric legwear product. So it's less even about the product and more about do you believe in what it stands for? And he definitely believes in the comfort factor. I mean, he is a, a customer of Untuck It. He loves those shirts because of the comfort. So I think if you've got that going on, you can just naturally flow ideas out of it and get passionate about it. I know that a lot of people listening may be uh, running a business with their spouse or or would love to, because in, in theory, it seems ideal, right? To have your partner in life be your partner in business. What are some of the challenges and what are some of the maybe learnings that you've had to kind of balance those two identities? Yeah, so we met each other at work. So we came from a already a place of working together first, and then it turned into our marriage. So I think if you've got this natural, natural desire to like talk shop, if you will, if you love what you do, and you're able to bring your spouse into that, it's a very powerful connection. And I think the downside is that you do talk about your career and your work all the time at dinner, at dinner, when you wake up, even on vacation, every aspect of your life is the work. And so if you're finding that it's wearing you down or stressing you out, then maybe it's more about the work and finding the passion back in the work than necessarily the, the relationship. But yeah, we, we do end up, we live 24 seven in work and uh, and that works for us. Yeah, I mean in that line you just said at the at the end kind of sums it all up, which is that works for you. And so if that's what works for you, then why not? Um it may not be the case for everybody else and you kind of have to find what works for you in your relationship. Love to talk a little bit about marketing because, you know, obviously we we've touched upon, you know, the the product ideation and the creation and the manufacturing, but where do the customers come from? I mean, surely, you know, you said you had an original network of, of women that probably were the first people to kind of get in touch with, but then beyond that, eventually we all run out of, of our network. So how have you gone about marketing? Yes. And that the marketing is the fuel that keeps your company in business and growing. And it is so important. And in 2020, we've talked a lot about the pivot But I think if you're a marketer and you have a successful business, you have been pivoting all along and maybe just didn't even know it because marketing tactics that work last season may not work this season. Like if you're still trying to cram MySpace into your marketing plan, you're like banging your head against the wall, right? Things are changing so rapidly that you do need to have a learner in your group who is constantly thinking of the new ways to drive traffic to your e-commerce site, the new spaces where these campfires of consumers are and where they're talking and where you can get in on the conversation. So for us, marketing has constantly evolved and there's never been one tactic that has just gone gangbusters for the entire time we've been in business. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's my experience as well. I've done you know, a, a good amount of marketing over the years. I run a marketing agency, and it's it's rare that you just find some sort of flywheel that just uh, it's it works and it, it never stops and it just gets better and better. It's usually something works for a bit, and then uh, you have to shift gears, and then that works for a bit, and you try a few more things. Maybe you go back to the original thing. You try it in a different way, and you know you, you kind of just get yourself there over time, but it's, it's never as easy as just kind of like, oh, uh, you know, voila, we found it. What are some of the couple, you know, things that, that you've tried or that you guys have been uh, putting effort into that maybe has worked not all the way, but has kind of gotten you to the next level? Yes, that's a great question. So we have found that as social media evolves and consumer groups are coming in and out of social media, um, you can really tap into that. So for instance, Facebook advertising has really worked for us because our customer tends to be older. She tends to have experience with hosiery. She tends to have had those bad experiences with it. And so Facebook, that that's where our consumer group is. So that has worked. Affiliate marketing, where women are women have a blog, they they have a platform that they stand on. And if we naturally fit and integrate into their content, that has worked so well. And sharing revenue, I'd say if you have not started affiliate marketing for your brand, definitely check into it because that idea where if a sale happens, then you kick back. So there's skin in the game. It really seems to work very well right now and today. And then everybody talks about email marketing that yes, email marketing and having that list of women or customers who want to be part of your content. It is huge. And every time we've sent out an email, we always get some type of return. So email marketing is not dead. And it's absolutely, it's absolutely something to put into your plan. And we're thinking about SMS. So this is that idea where you're as maybe email evolves and it's more about text messaging and, and one-to-one communications, getting into SMS is a new strategy for us that we're looking into. Some of those can work for other, like I said, it could work for other brands or it might not. It's all about turning on these levers, seeing what works and being nimble enough to change course of action. Don't go spend a whole bunch of money and then say, oh, this didn't work. Be looking at it and on the fly optimizing, saying, this is driving results. And if it isn't, kick it to the curb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree on all those fronts. A lot of those uh, the, the, you know, tried and true methods are still still working well today. Email marketing you mentioned, for example. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Facebook marketing. I know some people are just wondering how to crack that nut. You know, it's, it's sort of always like, oh, I'd love to be able to to drive traffic from Facebook. Um, so I have a question and I'm, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it in a way that is not overly complicated, but I'm curious in your opinion, is it more important, the targeting aspect of Facebook, you know, who you target, the, the demographics, the optimization around the audience, or would you say it's maybe more important sort of the flow in the experience, whether you send them to the homepage, whether you send them to a specific landing page, or there's some kind of offer or presentation that they see, or is it the combination? What, you know, if somebody has to kind of spend their time in one of those areas, what would you recommend? 
I'll answer this in two parts. The first part is the consumer piece and realizing that there are consumer groups when you start that you didn't even think of that as you as word of mouth happens and you start to customers start to find out about you as long as you're like in you're in the business and you're looking at who your customers are, you're talking with them, you're seeing what their order looks like and looking at your shop like we have Shopify Shopify analytics you can start to build a picture, maybe even different than what you thought. So one thing we did not realize is how flight attendants really still need our product as part of their uniform. And they want, you know, obviously, they want something very comfortable. They're in a job where it demands it. So I didn't go into this business thinking flight attendants, but that became part of our targeting set. So in Facebook advertising, to your point, it absolutely needs to capture someone. So that message, I needed to learn a lot about flight attendants, what they care about, what is going to make them want to click. So that creative piece, it's got to have a flight attendant so that she can resonate with it. So the creative is so important to capture someone. There's so much on our feed now. There's so much we skip past. So if you get that right, and then you layer in those consumer groups or campfire campfire communities, if you will, of these consumer sets, you will get to a bingo place where the right person clicks, they have an experience where you have solved a problem or a need that they have, bingo, you've got a new customer. Yeah, it's, it's about it all aligning. It sounds like, you know, it's just, obviously the targeting is important, but then the messaging, the creatives have to mess, you know, match that audience, um, speak to them. People want to feel like they're being spoken to directly like that somebody has kind of knocked on their door not just kind of a, a blimp uh, in the sky so yeah great point there especially bringing up the flight attendant uh, it makes perfect sense actually when, when you when you mention it so what's uh, what's next for for the company for the brand is it you know new product skews is it kind of doubling down on what what's already there and what's working where are you thinking you definitely need more than just your one product line. As you build a business, you need to constantly be thinking about how do you make that that shopping basket ring higher? How do you continue to deliver products to the customers who know and love you to continue to deliver value to them? The one trick pony or the one product doesn't last you very long. So constantly thinking about product extensions in my background in helping other entrepreneurs launch products. So we talked about that a lot, like what's next for the brand and thinking about that way ahead of when you're even needing to, to launch so that you don't fall behind with the business before you're, you know, obviously before you're ready. But so, so yeah, what's next is we want to think about our concept of comfort for women and merging style and comfort together. And what does that look like? What can that evolve into? And there's a lot of product sets that that, that can apply to, and there are needs that, that still need to be met with the customer. So yeah, I'd say there's so many products on the market today that it can get overwhelming. You can say, well, somebody's already done that. Somebody's already invented that. And I would say not to let that get you down or get you stuck or make you not want to start. Just start because if you build a better product, you will have a consumer group who is excited and jazzed about the way that you built it. 
Yeah, uh, so many people get deterred by just, you know, what's already out there. They're not thinking enough about what isn't out there, you know, or the ways in which you can improve an existing market. And I mean, if you're talking about pantyhose, something that, you know, ISIS has been around for quite quite some time. If an improvement can be made on that in the 21st century, then it's probably not not too much that doesn't have room for improvement. So awesome, Laura. I, I don't know if I can say that I know a lot more about pantyhose specifically after this conversation, but I definitely feel I know more about the business of pantyhose from having talking to you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that is that, that will have to satisfy for now. For people that want to get in touch with you, learn more about you and, and Hipsticks, where should they go? Yeah, you can find me on hipstick.com. And if you send an email to happy at hipsticks.com, I am the one behind the email. I want to be that close to my consumers. I set aside time every day knowing that I've got to focus my time on growing the business, but it is so important to me to hear from my customers and hear from people out there. So I'm behind that email. You can uh, send an email there and I'll be checking it. Awesome. And that's Hipstick spelled H-I-P-S-T-I-K-S dot com. Go check out the website, get in touch with Laura. Thank you, Laura, so much for, for being with us, sharing your wisdom. Absolutely. It was fun. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.